Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. London, 1912. 11.15 on a wet summer evening. Pedestrians running for shelter into the portico of St. Paul's Covent Garden. Among them a lady and her daughter in evening dress. It's come on worse than ever now. Oh, dear. If it's worse, it's a sign it's nearly over. So cheer up, Captain. Buy a flower off a poor girl. I'm sorry, I haven't any change. Gown. I'll do buy a flower off me, Captain. I can change off a crown. Take this for tuppence. Now, don't be troublesome, there's a good girl. I really haven't any change. Oh, stop. Oh, here's three headpins. That's any use to you? Thank you, sir. You be careful, my girl. Give him a flower for it. There's a bloke near behind taking down every blessed word you're saying. I ain't done nothing wrong by speaking to the gentleman. I've the right to sell flowers if I keep off the curb. I'm a respectable girl, so help me. I never spoke to him except to ask him to buy a flower off me. Oh, sir, don't let him charge me. You don't know what it means to me. They'll take away my character and drive me into the streets for speaking to the gentleman. There, 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 Who's hurting you, you silly girl? What do you take me for? No, it's all right. He's a gentleman. Look at his boots. <laughs> she thought you was a copper's knock, sir. What's a copper's knock? Why, it's a, well, it's a copper's knock, as you might say. I mean, what else would you call it? A sort of informer. I'll take my Bible out. Oh, shut up, shut up. Do I look like a policeman? Then what did you take down my words for? How do I know you took me down right? You just show me what you wrote about me. All right. There you are. What's that? That ain't proper writing. I can't read that. I can. Cheer up, Captain. Now buy a flower off a poor girl. It's because I called him Captain! 
make no charge, really, sir. If you are a detective, you need not begin protecting me against molestation by young women until I ask you. Anybody could see that the girl meant no harm. No, he ain't a tech. He's a blooming busybody, that's what he is. I tell you, look at his boots. And how are all your people down in Chelsea? What? Who told you my people come from Chelsea? Never you mind. They did. And how do you come to be up so far east? You were born in Lisson Grove. Oh, why am I saying my leave in Lisson Grove? Wasn't fit for a pig to live in. And I had to pay four and six all week. Live where you like, but stop that noise. You take us for dirt under your feet, don't you? Catch you taking liberties with one of your own class. You tell this gentleman here where he comes from. If you want to go fortune telling. Cheltenham, Harrow, Cambridge and India. Quite right. May I ask, sir, do you do this for your living in a music hall? I've thought of that. Perhaps I shall someday. There's no gentleman he ain't to interfere with a poor girl. Earth had already be doing, Mother. I shall get pneumonia if I stay in this draft much longer. Earl's Court. Will you please keep your impertinent remarks to yourself? Oh, did I say that out loud? I didn't mean to. I beg your pardon. Your mother's Epsom, unmistakably. Oh, very curious. I was brought up in Large Lady Park, near Epsom. <laughs> what a devil of a name. Oh, excuse me. Uh, you want a cab, do you? Don't dare speak to me. Oh, please, please, Clara. We should be so grateful to you, sir, if you found us a cab. I don't know whether you've noticed it, but the rain stopped about two minutes ago. So it has. It's quite fine now, Clara. We can walk to a motor bus. Come. To the cab. Oh, How do you do it, if I may ask, this fortune-telling business, I mean? Simply phonetics. The science of speech. That's my profession, also my hobby. Happy is the man who can make a living by his hobby. You can spot an Irishman or a Yorkshireman by his brogue. I can place any man within six miles. I can place him within two miles in London, sometimes within two streets. To be ashamed of himself, a manly cat. But is there a living in that? Oh, yes. Quite a fat one. This is an age of upstarts. Men begin in Kentish Town with 80 pounds a year and end up in Park Lane with 100,000. They want to drop Kentish Town, but they give themselves away every time they open their mouths. Now, I can teach them. <laughs> Mind his own business and leave a poor girl. <laughs> Woman, cease this detestable boo-hooing instantly. Or else seek the shelter of some other place of worship. I have a right to be here if I like, same as you. A woman who utters such depressing and disgusting sounds has no right to be anywhere, no right to live. Remember that you are a human being with a soul and the divine gift of articulate speech. That your native language is the language of Shakespeare and Milton and the Bible. And don't sit there crooning like a bilious pigeon. Heavens, what a sound. You see, this creature with her curbstone English, the English that will keep her in the gutter to the end of her days, well, sir, in three months I could pass that girl off as a duchess at an ambassador's garden party. I could even get her a place as a lady's maid or a shop assistant, which requires better English. That's the sort of thing I do for commercial millionaires. And on the profits of it, I do genuine scientific work in phonetics and a little as a poet on Miltonic lines. I am myself a student of Indian dialects. Are you? 
Do you know Colonel Pickering, the author of Spoken Sanskrit? <laughs> I am Colonel Pickering. Who are you? Henry Higgins, author of Higgins' Universal Alphabet. <laughs> I came from India to meet you. And I was going to India to meet you. <laughs> well, where do you live? <laughs> 27A Wimpole Street. Come and see me tomorrow. And I'm at the Carlton. Come with me now, and let's have a jaw over some supper. Right you are. Buy a flower, kind gentleman. I'm short for me lodging. Liar. You said you had change for half a crown. You ought to be stuck with nails, you ought. Here, take the old blooming basket for sixpence. There you are. that were here. They walked the bus when the rain stopped. And left me with a cab on my hands. Damnation! Never mind, young man. I'm going home in a taxi. Pickering, I think that's the whole show. Uh, would you like to go over any of it again? No, thank you. Not now. I'm quite done up for this morning. Tired of listening to sound? Yes, it's a fearful strain. I rather fancied myself because I can pronounce 24 distinct vowel sounds, but your 130 beat me. <laughs> I can't hear a bit of difference between most of them. Well, that comes with practice. You hear no difference at first, but you keep on listening and presently you find they're all as different as A from B. Please, sir. Yes, Mrs. Pierce, what is it? woman wants to see you, sir. A young woman? What does she want? Well, sir, she says you'll be glad to see her when you know what she's come about. She's quite a common girl, sir. Very common indeed. Has she an interesting accent? Oh, something dreadful, sir, really. Let's have her up, Pickering. Show her up, Mrs. Pierce. Oh, very well, sir. It's for you to say. She's rather a bit of luck. I'll show you how I make records. We'll set her talking, and I'll take her down first in Bell's visible speech, then in broad Romic, and then we'll get her on the phonograph so that you can turn her on as often as you like with the written transcript before you. This is the young woman, sir. Why, this is the girl I jotted down last night. She's no use. For all the records I want of Listen Grove lingo, I'm not going to waste another cylinder on it. Be off with you. I don't want you. But, Mr. Saucy, do I know what I come for yet? Did you tell him I come in a taxi? Nonsense, girl. What do you think a gentleman like Mr. Higgins cares what you came in? Ooh, we are proud. He ain't above giving lessons, not him. I heard him say so. Well, I ain't come here to ask for any compliment, and if my money's not good enough, I can go elsewhere. Good enough for what? Good enough for you. Now you know, don't you? I'm come to have lessons, I am. And to pay for them, too, make no mistake. Well, what do you expect me to say to you? Well, if you was a gentleman, you might ask me to sit down, I think. Didn't I tell you I'm bringing you business? Pickering, shall we ask this baggage to sit down, or shall we throw her out of the window? Ow! Oh, I won't be called a baggage when 
up over the pay like a lady. What is it you want, my girl? I want to be a lady in a flower shop instead of selling at the corner of Tottenham Court Road. But they won't take me unless I can talk more genteel. He said he could teach me. Well, here I am ready to pay him, not asking any favour, and he treats me as if I was dirt. How can you be such a foolish, ignorant girl as to think you could afford to pay Mr Higgins? Why shouldn't I? I know what lessons cost as well as you do, and I'm ready to pay. How much? Now you're talking. I thought you'd come off it when you saw a chance of getting back a bit of what you chucked at me last night. You'd had a drop in, hadn't you? Sit mm. down. Oh, if you're going to make a compliment of it. Sit down. What's your name? Liza Doolittle. Well, let's get to business. How much do you propose to pay me for the lessons? Oh, I know what's right. A lady friend of mine gets French lessons for 18 pence an hour from a real French gentleman. Well, you wouldn't have the face to ask me the same for teaching me my own language as you would for French. So, I won't give you more than a shilling. Take it or leave it. You know, Pickering, if you consider a shilling not as a simple shilling, but as a percentage of this girl's income, it works out as fully equivalent to 60 or 70 guineas from a millionaire. How so? Well, figure it out. A millionaire has about £150 a day. She earns about half a crown. What? She offers me two-fifths of her day's income for a lesson. Two-fifths of a millionaire's income for a day would be somewhere about 60 pounds. It's handsome. By George, it's enormous. It's the biggest offer I've ever had. 60 pounds? What are you talking about? I never offered you 60 pounds. Where would I get Hold your tongue. But I ain't got 60 pounds. Oh, don't cry, you silly girl. Sit down. Nobody is going to touch your money. Well, somebody's going to touch you with a broomstick if you don't stop snivelling. Sit down. If I decide to teach you, I'd be worse than two fathers to you. Here, take my handkerchief. What's this for? To wipe your eyes. To wipe any part of your face that feels moist. Remember, that's your handkerchief and that's your sleeve. Don't mistake the one for the other if you wish to become a lady in a shop. It's no use talking to her like that, Mr Higgins. She doesn't understand you. Higgins, I'm interested. What about the ambassador's garden party? I'll say you're the greatest teacher alive if you make that good. I'll bet you all the expenses of the experiment you can't do it. And I'll pay for the lessons. Oh, you are real good. Thank you, Captain. It's almost irresistible. She's so deliciously low, so horribly dirty. Oh, I ain't dirty. I wash my face and hands before I come, I did. You're certainly not going to turn her head with flattery, Higgins. <laughs> oh, don't say that, sir. There's more ways than one of turning a girl's head, and nobody can do it better than Mr Higgins, though he may not always mean it. I do hope, sir, you won't encourage him to do anything foolish. What is life but a series of inspired follies? The difficulty is to find them to do. Never lose a chance. It doesn't come every day. I, I shall make a duchess out of this draggle-tailed gutter snipe. <coughs> yes, in six months, in three, if she has a good ear and a quick tongue, I'll take her anywhere and pass her off as anything. We'll start today. Now, this moment. Take her away and clean her, Mrs. Pierce. Pumice stone if you won't come off any other way. Is there a good fire in the kitchen? Yes. Take all her clothes off and burn them. Ring up for new ones. Wrap her up in brown paper till they come. You're no gentleman. You're not to talk of such things. I'm a good girl, I am. I know what the luck of you are, I do. We want none of your listen grove prudery here, young woman. You've got to learn to behave like a duchess. Take her away, Mrs. Pierce. If she gives you any trouble, wallop her. No! I'll call the police, I will. But I've no place to put her. But put her in the dustbin. <laughs> 
Oh, come, Higgins, be reasonable. You must be reasonable, Mr. Higgins, really you must. Well, what's the matter? Well, the matter is, sir, that you can't take a girl up like that as if you were picking up a pebble on the beach. Well, why not? Why not? But you don't know anything about her. What about her parents? I ain't got no parents. They told me I was big enough to earn my own living and turn me out. Where's your mother? I ain't got no mother. Her that turned me out was my sixth stepmother. But I'm done without them. And I'm a good girl, I am. Oh, very well, then. What on earth is all this fuss about? The girl doesn't belong to anybody. There's no use to anybody but me. You can adopt her, Mrs. Pierce. I'm sure her daughter will be a great amusement to you. But, now, sir... don't make any more fuss. Take her downstairs. But what's to become of her? Is she to be paid anything? Oh, do be sensible, sir. Oh, pay her whatever is necessary. Put it down in the housekeeping book. What on earth will she want with money? She'll have her food and her clothes. She'll only drink if you give her money. Oh, you are a brute. It's a lie. Nobody ever saw the sign of liquor on me. Does it occur to you, Higgins, that the girl has some feelings? Oh, no. I don't think so. Not any feelings that we need bother about. Have you, Eliza? I've got my feelings same as anyone else. You see the difficulty? Uh, what difficulty? To get her to talk grammar. The mere pronunciation is easy enough. Well, I don't want to talk grammar. I want to talk like a lady. Will you please keep to the point, Mr Higgins? I want to know on what terms the girl is to be here. Is she to have any wages? And what is to become of her when you've finished your teaching? You must look ahead a little. What's to become of her if I leave her in the gutter? Tell me that, Mrs. Pierce. That's her own business, not yours, Mr. Higgins. Well, when I've done with her, we can throw her back into the gutter and then it will be her own business again, so that's all right. Oh, you've no feeling art in you. You don't care for nothing but yourself. Listen, Eliza, I think you said you came in a taxi. Well, what if I did? as good a right to take a taxi as anyone else you have eliza and in future you shall have as many taxis as you want you shall go up and down and round the town in a taxi every day think of that eliza mr higgins you're tempting the girl it's not right she should think of the future mrs pierce is quite right if this girl is to put herself in your hands for six months for an experiment in teaching, she must understand thoroughly what she's doing. How can she? She's incapable of understanding anything. Besides, do any of us understand what we're doing? If we did, would we ever do it? Very clever, Higgins, but not sound sense. <sighs> Miss Doolittle. Oh. There! That's all you'll get out of Eliza. Oh, no use explaining. As a military man, you ought to know that. Give her her orders. That's what she wants. Eliza, you are going to live here for the next six months, learning how to speak beautifully like a lady in a florist shop. If you are good and do whatever you're told, you shall sleep in a proper bedroom and have lots to eat and money to buy chocolates and take rides in taxis. Mm -hmm. If you are naughty and idle. You will sleep in the back kitchen among the black beetles and be walloped by Mrs. Pierce with a broomstick. Oh. At the end of six months, you shall go to Buckingham Palace in a carriage, beautifully dressed. If the king finds out that you're not a lady, you will be taken by the police to the Tower of London, where your head will be cut off as a warning to other presumptuous flower girls. <laughs> if you are not found out, you shall have a present of seven and sixpence to start life with as a lady in a shop. If you refuse this offer, you will be a most ungrateful and wicked girl, and the angels will weep for you.
How are you satisfied, Pickering? Can I put it more plainly and fairly, Mrs. Pierce? I think you'd better let me speak to the girl properly in private. I don't know that I can take charge of her or consent to the arrangement at all. Of course, I know you don't mean her any harm, but when you get what you call interested in people's accents, you never think nor care what may happen to them or you. Come with me, Eliza. Thank you, Mrs. Pierce. Bundle her off into the bathroom. No, no. You are a great bully, you are. I won't stay here if I don't like. I won't let nobody wallop me. I never asked to go to Buckingham Palace, I didn't. I was never in trouble with the police, not me. I'm a good girl. Don't answer back, girl. No, no, leave me be. You don't understand the gentleman. Come with me. Well, what I say is right. I won't go near the king, not if I'm going to have my head cut off. If I'd known what I was letting myself in for, I wouldn't have come here. This way. I've always been a good girl. And I never offered to say a word to him. And I don't owe him nothing and I don't care. I won't be put upon. And I have my feelings same as anyone else. <laughs> Excuse the straight question, Higgins. Are you a man of good character where women are concerned? Have you ever met a man of good character where women are concerned? Yes, very frequently. Well, I haven't. I find that the moment I let a woman make friends with me, she becomes jealous, exacting, suspicious, and a damned nuisance. I find that the moment I let myself make friends with a woman, I become selfish and tyrannical. Women upset everything. When you let them into your life, you find that the woman is driving at one thing and you're driving at another. So here I am, a confirmed old bachelor, and likely to remain so. Oh, come, Higgins, you know what I mean. If I'm to be in on this business, I shall feel responsible for that girl. I hope it's understood that no advantage is to be taken of her position. What? That thing? Sacred, I assure you. You see, she'll be a pupil, and teaching would be impossible unless pupils were sacred. I've taught scores of American millionaires how to speak English. The best-looking women in the world. I'm seasoned. They might as well be blocks of wood. I might as well be a block of wood. Well, Mrs. Pierce, what is it? If you please, sir, the trouble's beginning already. There's a dustman downstairs. Alfred Doolittle wants to see you. He says you have his daughter here. Ooh, I say. Send the blackguard up. Very well, sir. He may not be a blackguard, Higgins. Nonsense. Of course he's a blackguard. Well, whether he is or not, I'm afraid we shall have some trouble with him. No, no, I think not. If there is any trouble, he shall have it with me, not I, with him. And we're sure to get something interesting out of him. About the girl? Well, no, no. I mean his dialect. Oh. Do little, sir. Uh, Professor Higgins. Uh, here. Good morning. Morning, Governor. I come about a very serious matter, Governor. Brought up in Hounslow, Mother Welsh, I should think. What do you want, Doolittle? I want my daughter. That's what I want, see? Well, of course you do. You're her father, aren't you? You don't suppose that anyone else wants her, do you? I'm glad to see you have some spark of family feeling left. She's upstairs. Take her away at once. What? Well, take her away. You suppose I'm going to keep your daughter for you? No, no, look here, Governor. Is this reasonable? Is it fair of you to take advantage of a man like this? When the girl belongs to me and you got her, where do I come in? Your daughter had the audacity to come to my house and ask me to teach her how to speak properly so that she could get a place in a flower shop. This gentleman and my housekeeper have been here all the time. How dare you come here and attempt to blackmail me? You sent her here on purpose. No, Governor. You must have. How else could you possibly know that she is here? Don't take a man up like that, Governor. The police shall take you up. This is a plant. A plot to extort money by threats. I shall telephone for the police. Have I asked you for a brass farthing? I mean, I leave it to the gentleman here. Have I said a word about money? What else did you come for? 
Well, what would a man come for? A human, Governor. Alfred, did you put her up to it? So help me, Governor, I never did. I take my Bible oath I ain't seen the girl these two months past. Then how did you know she was here? I'll tell you, Governor, if only you'll let me get a word in. I'm willing to tell you, I'm wanting to tell you, I'm waiting to tell you. Pickering, this chap has a certain natural gift of rhetoric. Observe the rhythm of his native wood notes wild. I'm willing to tell you, I'm wanting to tell you, I'm waiting to tell you. Sentimental rhetoric, that's the world straight in him. It also accounts for his mendacity and dishonesty. Well, please, Higgins, I'm West Country myself. How did you know the girl was here if you didn't send her? It was like this, Governor. The girl took a boy in the taxi to give him a jaunt. Son of her landlady, he is. He hung about on the chance of her giving him another ride home. Well, she sent him back for her luggage when she heard you was uh, willing for her to stop here. I met the boy at the corner of Longacre and Endell Street. How much luggage? Musical instrument, Governor. A few pictures, a trifle of jewellery and a birdcage. Uh, she said she didn't want no clothes. Now, what was I to think from that, Governor? I mean, I ask you as a parent, what was I to think? So you came to rescue her from worse than death, eh? Yes, so, Governor, that's right. But why did you bring her luggage if you intended to take her away? Well, have I said a word about taking her away? Have I now? You're going to take her away, double quick. Pickering, ring for Mrs. Pierce. Certainly. But no, Governor, don't say that. I, I, I'm not the man to stand in my girl's light. Here's a career opening for her, as you might say. You rang, sir. Mrs. Pierce, this is Eliza's father. He's come to take her away. Give her to him. No, no, this is a misunderstanding. Listen here. He can't take her away, Mr. Higgins. How can he? You told me to burn her clothes. That's right. I can't carry the girl through the streets like a blooming monkey, can I? I put it to you. You've put it to me that you want your daughter. Take your daughter. If she has no clothes, go out and buy her, sir. Well, where's the clothes she come in? I mean, did I burn them or did your missus hear? I am the housekeeper, if you please. I have sent for some clothes for your girl. When they come, you can take her away. You can wait in the kitchen. This way, please. Look, no, no. listen here, Governor. You and me is uh, men of the world, ain't we? Oh, men of the world, are we? You better go, Mrs. Pierce. I think so indeed, sir. The floor is yours, Mr. Doolittle. Oh, thank you, Governor. Well, the truth is I've taken a sort of fancy to you, Governor. And if you want the girl, I'm not so set on having her back home again, but what I might be open to an arrangement. I mean, regarded in the light of a young woman, she's a fine, handsome girl. As a daughter, she's not worth her keep. And so I tell you straight. All I ask is my rights as a father. And you're the last man alive to expect me to let her go for nothing. For I can see you're one of the straights who are going Well... What's a five-pound note to you, and what's Eliza to me? I think you ought to know, Doolittle, that Mr Higgins' intentions are entirely honourable. Of course they are, Governor. If I thought they wasn't, I'd ask fifty. <laughs> Do you mean to say, you callous rascal, that you would sell your daughter for fifty pounds? Not in a general way, I wouldn't, but to oblige a gentleman like you, I'd do a good deal, I do assure you. Have you no morals, man? Well, can't afford them, Governor. Neither could you if you were as poor as me. Not that I mean any harm, you know, but uh, if Liza's going to have a bit out of this, then why not me too? I don't know what to do, Pickering. There can be no question that as a matter of morals, it's a positive crime to give this chap a farthing, and yet I feel a sort of rough 
justice in his claim. That's it, Governor. That's all I say. A father's heart, as it were. Well, I know the feeling, but really it seems hardly right. No, don't say that, Governor. I mean, don't look at it that way. What am I, Governors both? Hmm? I ask you, what am I? I'm one of the undeserving poor. That's what I am. We think of what that means to a man. It means that he's up again middle-class morality all the time. If there's anything going and I put in for a bit of it, it's always the same story. You're undeserving, so you can't have it. But my needs is as great as the most deserving widows that ever got money out of six different charities in one week for the death of the same husband. I don't need less than a deserving man. I need more. I don't eat less hearty than him, and I drink a lot more. I want cheerfulness and a song and a band when I feel low. Well, they charge me just the same for everything as they charge the deserving. Now, what is middle-class morality? Just an excuse for never giving me anything. Therefore, I ask you, as two gentlemen, not to play that game on me. Will you take advantage of a man's nature to do him out of the price of his own daughter, what he's brought up and fed and clothed by the sweat of his brow until she's grown big enough to be interesting to you two, gentlemen? I mean, is five pounds unreasonable? I put it to you, and I leave it to you. Pickering, if we were to take this man in hand for three months, he could choose between a seat in the cabinet and a popular pulpit in Wales. What do you say to that, Doolittle? Oh, not me, Governor, thank you kindly. Undeserving poverty is my line. When taking one station in society with another, it's, uh, it's well, I mean, it's the only one that's had any ginger in it, to my taste. I suppose we must give him a fiver. You'll make bad use of it, I'm afraid. Not me, Governor, so help me, I won't. I mean, don't you be afraid that I'll save it and spare it and live idle on it. There won't be a penny of it left by Monday. I'll have to go to work, same as if I'd never had it. It won't pauperise me, you bet. Just one good spree for myself and the missus, giving pleasure to ourselves and employment to others, and satisfaction to you to think it's not been thrown away. You couldn't spend it better. This is irresistible. <laughs> Let's give him ten. Oh, no, no, Governor. She wouldn't have the art to spend ten. And perhaps I shouldn't either. I mean, ten pounds is a lot of money. It makes a man feel prudent-like, and then goodbye to happiness. Now, you give me what I ask you, Governor, not a penny more, not a penny less. Why don't you marry that missus of yours? I rather draw the line at encouraging that sort of immorality. Well, tell her so, Governor, tell her so. I'm willing. <laughs> I've no hold on her, and she knows it too. Well, catch her marrying me. <laughs> Take my advice, Governor. Marry Eliza while she's young, and don't know no better. If you don't, you'll be sorry for it after. And if you do, she'll be sorry for it after, but better her than you, because you're a man. And she's only a woman and don't know how to be happy anyhow. Pickering, if we listen to this man another minute, we shall have no convictions left. Five pounds, I think you said? Thank you kindly, Governor. You sure you won't take ten? Not now. Another time, Governor. Here you are. Uh, thank you, Governor. Oh, good morning. Excuse me, sir. But I took the liberty of giving her one of the Japanese dresses you brought back from abroad. Oh, I beg your pardon, miss. Jan, don't you know your own daughter when she's all dolled up? Blimey, it's Eliza. Then I look silly. Silly? Now, Mr Higgins, please don't say anything to make the girl conceited about herself. Oh, quite right, Mrs Pierce. Yes, damn silly. Please, sir. I, I mean extremely silly. Well, I never thought she'd clean up as good-looking as that, Governor. 
She's a credit to me, ain't she? Yeah, in fact, bit of good you ever done me, I must say. Don't you give me none of your lip. And don't let you give this gentleman any of it, neither, or you'll hear from me about it, see? Have you any further advice to give her before you go, Doolittle? Your blessing, for instance? Oh, no, Governor. I ain't such a mad as to put my children up to all I know myself. Hard enough to hold them in without that. If you want Eliza's mind improved, Governor, you do it yourself. With a strap. Oh. So long, gentlemen. Stop. You'll come regularly to see your daughter. It's your duty, you know. My brother is a clergyman, and he could help you in your talks with her. Uh, certainly I'll come, Governor, but uh, not just this week, cos I, uh, you know, I've got a job at a distance. But later on, you may depend on me. Afternoon, gentlemen. Afternoon, ma'am. If you would just show me to the front door. <laughs> Don't you believe the old liar? Pickering, we have taken on a stiff job. Higgins, we have... Now, say your alphabet. I know my alphabet. Do you think I know nothing? Say your alphabet. Say it, Miss Doolittle. Do what he tells you. Oh, well, if you put it like that. A, B, C, D... Stop! Listen to this, Pickering. This is what we pay for as elementary education. This unfortunate animal has been locked up for nine years in a school at our expense. And the result is I, by, say, day, say, A, B, C, D. But I am saying it. A, B, C, Stop! Say, a cup of tea. A cup of tea? Put your tongue forward until it squeezes against the top of your lower teeth. Now say... Miss Doolittle. <laughs> Jupiter, she's done it the first shot. Now, do you think you could possibly say tea? Not tie, mind. If you ever say by say day again, you shall be dragged round the room three times by the hair of your head. Now, tea, 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 tea. <laughs> God, you know, difference. If it sounds more gentle like when you say it. Well, if you can hear that difference, what the devil are you crying for? Pickering, give her a chocolate. No, no, never mind crying a little, Miss Doolittle. You are doing very well. I promise you I won't let him drag you round the room by your hair. Now, be off with you to Mrs. Pierce and tell her about it. Think about it. Try to do it by yourself and keep your tongue well forward in your mouth instead of trying to roll it up and swallow it. Away with you. She's coming on, you know, that girl. I know she is, Pig. In another month, it may be time to try her out on someone. Mother. Oh, Henry. What are you doing here today? It is my at-home day. You promise not to come. Go home at once. I can't. I've got a job for you, Mother. I've picked up a girl. Does that mean that some girl has picked you up? Not at all. I don't mean a love affair. Oh, what a pity. But tell me about her. Well, she's coming to see you. I don't remember asking her. You didn't. I asked her. If you'd known her, you wouldn't have asked her. Indeed? Why? Well, it's like this. She's a common flower girl. I picked her off the curbstone. And invited her to my at-home? Well, that'll be all right. 
I've talked her to speak properly, and she has strict orders as to her behaviour. She's to keep to two subjects, the weather and everybody's health. Fine day and how do you do, you know, and not to let herself go on things in general. That'll be safe. Safe? To talk about our health? About our insides? Perhaps about our outsides? How could you be so silly, Henry? Well, she must talk about something. Oh, it'll be all right. Don't you fuss. Pickering is in it with me. I'm sort of bet on that I'll pass her off as a duchess in six months. I started on her some months ago. She's getting on like a house on fire. I shall win my bet. She has a quick ear, and she's been easier to teach than my middle-class pupils because she's had to learn a complete new language. She talks English almost as you talk French. That's satisfactory at all events. Well, it is and it isn't. What does that mean? Well, see, I've got a pronunciation all right, but you have to consider not only how a girl pronounces, but what she pronounces. Mrs. and Miss Einsford Hill. Oh, Lord. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do, Clara? My son Henry, Miss Clara Einsford Hill. Your celebrated son. Oh, I have so longed to meet you, Professor Higgins. Delighted. How do you do? I've seen you before somewhere. I haven't the ghost of a notion where, but I've heard your voice. Well, it doesn't matter. You'd better sit down. I'm sorry to say that my celebrated son has no manners. You mustn't mind him. I don't. <laughs> Colonel Pickering. How do you do, Mrs. Higgins? So glad you've come. Do you know Mrs. Einsford Hill? Miss uh, Einsford Hill? How do you do? How do you do? How do you do? Has Henry told you what we've come for? You were interrupted. Damn it. Henry, Henry, really. Oh. Are we in the way? No, no, you couldn't have come more fortunately. We want you to meet a friend of ours. Yes, by George. We want two or three people. You'll do as well as anyone else. Mr. Einsford Hill. God, heaven, another of them. How do you do? Very good of you to come. Colonel Pickering? How do you do? I don't think you know my son, Professor Higgins. How do you do? I'll take my oath that I've met you before somewhere. Where was it? I don't think so. Well, it don't matter anyhow. Sit down. Oh. Now, what the devil are we going to talk about until Eliza comes? Henry, you're the life and soul of the Royal Society's soirees, but really you're rather trying on more commonplace occasions. Miss Doolittle. Here she is, Mother. Oh. How do you do, Mrs. Higgins? Mr. Higgins told me I might come. Quite right. I'm very glad indeed to see you. How do you do, Miss Doolittle? Colonel Pickering, is it not? I feel sure we have met before, Miss Doolittle. I remember your eyes. How do you do? My daughter, Clara. How do you do? How do you do? I've certainly had the pleasure. My son, Freddy. How do you do? By George, yes, it all comes back to me. Covent Garden. What a damn thing. Henry. Sorry. <coughs> uh, <coughs> Will it rain, do you think? The shallow depression in the west of these islands is likely to move slowly in an easterly direction. There are no indications of any great change in the barometrical situation. <laughs> How awfully funny! What is wrong with that young man? I bet I got it right. Killing! I'm sure I hope it won't turn cold. There's so much influenza about. It runs right through our whole family regularly every spring. My aunt died of influenza. 
So they said. But it's my belief they done the old woman in. Done her in? Yes, Lord love you. Why should she die of influenza? She come through diphtheria right enough the year before. I saw her with my own eyes. Fairly blue with it she was. They all thought she was dead. But my father, he kept ladling gin down her throat till she came to so sudden that she bit the bowl off the spoon. Oh, dear me. What call would a woman with that strength in her have to die of influenza? What become of her new straw hat that should have come to me? Somebody pinched it. And what I say is, them as pinched it done her in. What does doing her in mean? Oh, that's the new small talk. To do a person in means to kill them. You surely don't believe that your aunt was killed. Do I not? Them she lived with would have killed her for a hat pin, let alone a hat. But it can't have been right for your father to pour spirits down her throat like that. It might have killed her. Not her. Gin was mother's milk to her. Besides, he'd poured so much down his own throat that he knew the good of it. Do you mean that he drank? Drank? My word! Something chronic! How dreadful for you. Not a bit. It never did him no harm what I could see. But then he did not keep it up regular. On the burst, as you might say, from time to time. And always more agreeable when he had a drop in. When he was out of work, my mother used to give him four pence and tell him to go out and not come back until he'd drunk himself cheerful and loving-like. There's lots of women has to make their husbands drunk to make them fit to live with. You see, it's like this. If a man has a bit of a conscience, it always takes him when he's sober, and then it makes him low-spirited. A drop of booze just takes that off and makes him happy. Here, what are you snickering at, young man? The new small talk, you did so awfully well. If I was doing it proper, what was you laughing at? Have I said anything I oughtn't? Not at all, Miss Doolittle. Well, that's a mercy anyhow. What I always say is... <coughs> well, I must go. So pleased to have met you. Goodbye, Mrs. Higgins. Goodbye. Goodbye, Colonel Pickering. Goodbye, Miss Doolittle. Goodbye, all... Are you walking across the park, Miss Doolittle? If so, I Walk? Not bloody likely. Oh. I am going in a taxi. Well, I... 
really can't get used to the new ways. Oh, it's all right, Mama. Quite right. People will think we never go anywhere or see anybody if you are so old-fashioned. I dare say I am very old-fashioned, but I do hope you won't begin using that expression, Clara. I have got accustomed to hear you talking about men as rotters and calling everything filthy and beastly, though I do think it horrible and unladylike. But this last is really too much. It's all a matter of habit. There's no right or wrong in it. Nobody means anything by it. And it's so quaint and gives such a smart emphasis to things that are not in themselves very witty. I find the new small talk delightful and quite innocent. Well, after that, I think it's time for us to go. Oh, yes. We have three at homes to go to still. Goodbye, Mrs. Higgins. Goodbye, Colonel Pickering. Goodbye, Professor Higgins. Goodbye. Be sure you try on that small talk for three at homes. Don't be nervous about it. Pitch it in. Strong. I will. Goodbye. Such nonsense, all this early Victorian prudery. Such damn nonsense? Such bloody nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. 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 Well, is Eliza presentable? You silly boy. Of course she's not presentable. She's a triumph of your art and her dressmaker's. But if you suppose for a moment she doesn't give herself away in every sentence she utters, you must be perfectly cracked about her. But don't you think something might be done? I mean, something to eliminate the sanguinary element from her conversation. Not as long as she is in Henry's hands. Colonel Pickering, don't you realise that when Eliza walked into Wimpole Street, something walked in with her? <laughs> her father did, but Henry soon got rid of him. It would have been more to the point if her mother had. But as her mother didn't, something else did. But what? A problem. Oh, I see. The problem of how to pass her off as a lady. I'll solve that problem. I've half solved it already. No, you two infinitely stupid male creatures. The problem of what is to be done with her afterwards. I don't see anything in that. She can go her own way with all the advantages I've given her. The advantages of that poor woman who was here just now? The manners and habits that disqualify a fine lady from earning her own living without giving her a fine lady's income. Is that what you mean? Oh, that will be all right, Mrs. Higgins. I'll find her some light employment. She's happy enough. Don't worry about her. Anyhow, there's no good bothering now. The thing's done. There are plenty of openings. We'll do what's right. Let's take her to the Shakespeare exhibition of Earl's Court. Yes, let's. Her remarks will be delicious. She'll mimic all the people for us when we get home. Ripping. <laughs> <laughs> let's take her to the Prongs. Royal Academy. Oh, men. 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 I say, Pig, lock up, will you? I shan't be going out again. Right. Can Mrs. Pierce go to bed? We don't want anything more, do we? Oh, Lord, no. One evening. What a crew. What a silly tomfoolery. Where are my slippers, Eliza? Well, I feel a bit tired. It's been a long day. A garden party, dinner party, and the opera. <laughs> it's rather too much of a good thing. But you've won your bet, Higgins. Eliza did the trick and something to spare, hmm? Thank God it's over. Were you nervous at the garden party? I was. Eliza didn't seem a bit nervous. Oh, she wasn't nervous. I knew she'd be all right. No, it's the strain of putting the job through all these months that has told on me. It was interesting enough at first while we were at the phonetics, but after that I got deadly sick of it. 
hadn't backed myself to do it, I should have chucked the whole thing up two months ago. It's a silly notion. The whole thing has been a bore. Ah, but it's over and done with, and now I can go to bed at last without dreading tomorrow. I think I shall turn in, too. Still, it's been a great occasion. Huh. A triumph for you. Good night. Put out the lights, Eliza. Tell Mrs. Pierce not to make coffee for me in the morning. I'll take tea. What the devil have I done with my slippers? There are your slippers. Ow! And there! Take your slippers and may you never have a day's luck with them. What on earth? What's the matter? Anything wrong? Nothing wrong with you. I've won your bet for you, haven't I? That's enough for you. I don't matter, I suppose. You won my bet? You? Presumptuous insect. I won it. What did you throw those slippers at me for? Because I wanted to smash your face. I'd like to kill you, you selfish brute. Why didn't you leave me where you picked me out of, in the gutter? You thank God it's all over and that now you can throw me back again there, do you? The creature is nervous, after all. <coughs> Would you? Claws in, you cat. How dare you show your temper to me? Sit down and be quiet. <sighs> What's to become of me? What's to become of me? How the devil do I know what's to become of you? What does it matter what becomes of you? You don't care. I know you don't care. You wouldn't care if I was dead. I'm nothing to you, not so much as them slippers. Those slippers. Those slippers. I didn't think it made any difference now. Why have you begun going on like this? May I ask whether you complain of your treatment here? No. Has anybody behaved badly to you? Colonel Pickering, Mrs. Pierce, any of the servants? No. I presume you don't pretend that I have treated you badly. No. I am glad to hear it. Perhaps you're tired after the strain of the day. Will you have a glass of champagne? No. Thank you. This has been coming on you for some days. I suppose it was natural for you to be anxious about the garden party, but that's all over now. There's nothing more to worry about. No. Nothing more for you to worry about. Oh, God. I wish I was dead. Why? In heaven's name, why? Listen to me, Eliza. All this irritation is purely subjective. Oh, I don't understand. I'm too ignorant. It's only imagination, low spirits and nothing else. Nobody's hurting you, nothing's wrong. You go to bed like a good girl and sleep it off. Have a little cry and say your prayers. That will make you comfortable. I heard your prayers. Thank God it's all over. Oh, don't you thank God it's all over? Now you are free and can do what you like. What am I fit for? What have you left me fit for? Where am I to go? What am I to do? What's to become of me? Oh, that's what's worrying you, is it? I shouldn't bother about it if I were you. I should imagine you won't have much difficulty in settling yourself somewhere or other. I hadn't quite realised you were going away. You might marry, you know. You see, Eliza, all men are not confirmed old bachelors like me and the Colonel. Most men are the marrying sort. Poor devils. And you're not bad-looking. It's quite a pleasure to look at you sometimes. Not now, of course, because you're crying and look as ugly as the very devil. But when you're all right and quite yourself, you're what I should call attractive. That is, to the people in the marrying line, you understand? You go to bed, have a good, nice rest, then get up 
and look at yourself in the glass, you won't feel so cheap. Huh. I dare say my mother could find some chap or other who'd do very well. <laughs> we were above that at the corner of Tottenham Court Road. What do you mean? I sold flowers. I didn't sell myself. Now you've made a lady of me, I'm not fit to sell anything else. I wish you'd left me where you found me. Tosh, Eliza, don't you insult human relations by dragging all this cant about buying and selling into it. You needn't marry the fellow if you don't like him. What else am I to do? Oh, lots of things. What about your old idea of a florist shop? Pickering could set you up in one. He's lots of money. <laughs> that could pay for all those togs you've been wearing today. And that, with the hire of the jewellery, will make a big hole in 200 pounds. Why, six months ago you would have thought it the millennium to have a flower shop of your own. Come, you'll be all right. I must clear off to bed. I'm devilish sleepy. Uh, by the way, I was looking for something. Forget what it was. Your slippers. Oh, yes, of course. You shied them at me. Where the devil are they? Before you go, sir, hmm? do my clothes belong to me or to Colonel Pickering? What the devil use would they be to Pickering? He might want them for the next girl you pick up to experiment on. Is that the way you feel towards us? All I want to know is whether anything belongs to me. My own clothes were burnt. But what does it matter? Why don't you start bothering about that in the middle of the night? I want to know what I may take away with me. I don't want to be accused of stealing. Stealing? You shouldn't have said that, Eliza. That shows a want of feeling. I'm sorry. I'm only a common, ignorant girl. And in my station, I have to be careful. There can't be any feelings between the like of you and the like of me. Please, will you tell me what belongs to me and what doesn't? You may take the whole damned house full of you, like, except the jewels. They're hard. Will that satisfy you? Stop, please. Will you take these pearls to your room and keep them safe? I don't want to run the risk of their being missing. Hand them over. If these belong to me instead of the jeweler, I'd run them down your ungrateful throat. This ring isn't the jeweler's. It's the one you bought me in Brighton. I don't want it now. You little... Don't you hit me! Hit you? You infamous creature, how dare you accuse me of such a thing? It is you who have hit me. You have wounded me to the heart. I'm glad. I've got a little of my own back, anyhow. You have caused me to lose my temper. A thing that has hardly ever happened to me before. I prefer to say nothing more tonight. I'm going to bed. You'd better leave a note for Mrs. Pierce about the coffee. For she won't be told by me. Damn, Mrs. Pierce, and damn the coffee, and damn you. And damn my own folly in having lavished hard-earned knowledge and the treasure of my regard and intimacy on a heartless gutter snipe. Mr. Henry, ma'am, is downstairs with Colonel Pickering. Well, show them up. They're using the telephone, ma'am. Telephoning to the police, I think. What? Mr. Henry's in a state, ma'am. I thought I'd better tell you. If you had told me that Mr. Henry was not in a state, it would have been more surprising. Tell them to come up when they finished with the police. I suppose he's lost something. Yes, ma'am. Look here, mother. Here's a confounded thing. Yes, dear. Good morning. Mm. What is it? Eliza's bolted. You must have frightened her. Frightened her? Nonsense. 
She was left last night, as usual, to turn out the lights and all that, and instead of going to bed, she changed her clothes and went right off. Her bed wasn't slept in. She came in a cab for her things before seven this morning, and that fool, Mrs. Pierce, let her have them without telling me a word about it. What am I to do? Do without, I'm afraid, Henry. The girl has a perfect right to leave if she chooses. But I can't find anything. I don't know what appointments I've got. Oh, I'm sorry. It's quite all right, Colonel Pickering. Come in. Good morning, Mrs. Higgins. Has Henry told what me? What does that ass of an inspector say? Have you offered a reward? You don't mean to say you have set the police after Eliza? Of course. What are the police for? The inspector has made a lot of difficulties. I really think he suspected us of some improper purpose. Well, of course he did. What right have you to go to the police and give the girl's name as if she were a thief or a lost umbrella or something? Really? Excuse me, ma'am. Yes, what is it? Mr. Henry, a gentleman wants to see you very particular. He's been sent on from Wimpole Street. Oh, bother. I can't see anyone now. Who is it? A Mr. Doolittle, sir. Doolittle? You mean the dustman? Dustman? Oh, no, sir. A gentleman. By George, Pickett, some relative of hers that she's gone to. Somebody we know nothing about. Send him in, quick. Yes, sir. Very good, sir. Genteel relatives. Now we shall hear something. Do you know any of her people? Well, only her father, the fellow we told you about. Mr. Doolittle. See you. Alfred, whatever's happened? Do you see this? You done this? Done what, man? This, I tell you. I mean, look at it. I mean, look at this top hat. Look at this coat. A topper and a white waistcoat. Me, I ask you. Has Eliza been buying you clothes? Eliza, not she. Why would she buy me clothes? Good morning, Mr. Doolittle. Won't you sit down? Ask your pardon, ma'am. Thank you. Oh, I'm that full of what has happened to me that I can't think of anything else. What the Dickens has happened to you? I shouldn't mind if it had only happened to me. Anything might happen to anybody and nobody to blame but Providence, as you might say. But this is something that you done to me. Yes, you, Henry Higgins. Have you found Eliza? That's the point. Have you lost her? Yes. You have all the luck you have. I ain't found her, but she'll find me quick enough now after what you've done to me. But what has my son done to you, Mr. Doolittle? Done to me, ruined me, destroyed me happiness, tied me up and delivered me into the hands of middle-class morality. You're raving. You're drunk. You're mad. I gave you five pounds. After that, I had two conversations with you at half a crown an hour. I have never seen you since. Oh, drunk, am I? Mad, am I? Well, tell me this. Did you or did you not write a letter to an old blighter in America that was giving five millions to found moral reform societies all over the world and that wanted you to invent a universal language for him? Ezra D. Wanafana, he's dead. Yes, he's dead and I'm done for. Now, did you or did you not write a letter to him to say that the most original moralist at present in England, to the best of your knowledge, was Alfred Doolittle, a common dustman? <sighs> After your last visit, I remember making some silly joke of the kind. Yeah, yeah, you may well call it a silly joke. It put the lid on me right enough. It just gave him the chance he wanted to show that Americans is not like us. That they recognise and respect merit in every class of life, however humble. Them words is in his blooming will. In which, Henry Higgins, thanks to your silly joking, he leaves me a share in his pre-digested cheese trust. Worth three thousand a year on condition that I lecture for his Wannafella Moral Reform World League as often as they ask me, up to six times a year. The devil he does. Whew. Ha! 
What a lark. <laughs> Safe thing for you, Doolittle. They won't ask you twice. God, oh, it ain't a lecture in my mind. Oh, lecture and blue in the face, I will not turn a hair. It's making a gentleman out of me that I object to. And who asked him to make a gentleman of me? I was happy. I was free. I touched pretty nigh everybody for money when I wanted it. Same as I touch you, Henry Higgins. Now I'm worried, tied neck and heels, and everybody touches me for money. It's a fine thing for you, says my solicitor. Is it, says I. You mean it's a good thing for you, I says. When I was a poor man and had a solicitor once, was when they found a pram in a dust cart, he got me off and got shut of me and got me shut of him as quick as he could. And it's the same with the doctors. They used to shove me out of the hospital before I could hardly stand on me legs and nothing to pay. Now they finds out that I'm not a healthy man and can't live unless they looks after me twice a day. In the house I'm not let do a hand's turn for myself. Somebody else must do it and touch me for it. You know, a year ago I hadn't a relative in the world except two or three that wouldn't speak to me. Now I've fifty and not a decent week's wages among a lot of them. I have to live for others and not for myself. That's middle-class morality. <laughs> you talk of losing Eliza. Don't you be anxious. I bet she's on my doorstep for this. She that could support herself easy by selling flowers if I wasn't respectable. And the next one to touch me will be you, Henry Higgins. I'll have to learn to speak middle-class language from you instead of speaking proper English. That's where you'll come in. And I dare say that's what you've done it for. But, my dear Mr. Doolittle, you need not suffer all this if you are really in earnest. Nobody can force you to accept this bequest. You can repudiate it. Isn't that so, Colonel Pickering? <laughs> I believe so. Well, that's the tragedy of it, ma'am. It's easy to say, chuck it, but I haven't the nerve. I mean, which of us has? We're all intimidated. Intimidated, ma'am, that's where we are. Hey, what is there for me if I chuck it but the workhouse in me old age? I have to dye me hair already to keep my job as a dustman. If I was one of the deserving poor and had put by a bit, I could chuck it. But then why should I? Of course, the deserving poor might as well be millionaires for all the happiness they ever has. They don't know what happiness is. But I, as one of the undeserving poor, have nothing between me and the pauper's uniform but this here blasted three thousand a year that shoves me into the middle class. Excuse the expression, ma'am, you'd use it yourself if you had my provocation. I mean, they've got you every way you turn. It's a choice between the skilly of the workhouse and the charbidus of the middle class. And I haven't the nerve for the workhouse. Intimidated, that's what I am. Broke. Bought up. Happier men than me will call for my dust and touch me for their tip. And I'll look on helpless and envy them. And that's what your son has brought me to. Well, I'm very glad you're not going to do anything foolish, Mr. Doolittle, for this solves the problem of Eliza's future. You can provide for her now. Yes, ma'am. 
Yeah, I'm expected to provide for everyone now, out of 3,000 a year. Nonsense, he can't provide for her. He shan't provide for her. She doesn't belong to him. I paid him five pounds for her. Doolittle, either you're an honest man or a rogue. A little of both, Henry, like the rest of us, a little of both. Well, you took that money for the girl and you have no right to take her as well. Henry, don't be absurd. If you want to know where Eliza is, she's upstairs. What? Upstairs? I shall jolly soon fetch her downstairs. Be quiet, Henry. Sit down. I... Sit down, dear, and listen to me. Oh, very well, very well, very well. I think you might have told us this half an hour ago. Eliza came to me this morning. She told me of the brutal way you two treated her. What? My dear Mrs Higgins, she's been telling you stories. We didn't treat her brutally. We hardly said a word to her. And we parted on particularly good terms. Higgins, did you bully her after I went to bed? Or just the other way about. She threw my slippers in my face. She paid in the most outrageous way. And she used perfectly awful language. But why? What did we do to her? I think I know pretty well what you did. When the great day of trial came, and she did this wonderful thing for you without making a single mistake, you two sat there and never said a word to her, but talked together of how glad you were that it was all over and how you had been bored with the whole thing. And then you were surprised because she threw your slippers at you. I should have thrown the fire iron. We said nothing except that we were tired and wanted to go to bed, did we, Big? That was all. Quite sure? Absolutely. Really, that was all. You didn't thank her or pet her or admire her or tell her how splendid she'd been. She knew all about that. We didn't make speeches to her, if that's what you mean. Perhaps we were a little inconsiderate. Is she very angry? Well, I'm afraid she won't go back to Wimpole Street, especially now that Mr. Doolittle is able to keep up the position you have thrust on her. But she says she is quite willing to meet you on friendly terms and to let bygones be bygones. Is she by George? If you promise to behave yourself, Henry, I'll ask her to come down. If not, go home, for you have taken up quite enough of my time. All right. Very well. A pick, you behave yourself. Let us put on our best Sunday manners for this creature that we have picked out of the mud. Now, now, Henry Higgins, have some consideration for my feelings as a middle-class man. Remember your promise, Henry, and I'll ring for her. Mr. Doolittle, will you be so good as to step out on the balcony for a moment? I don't want Eliza to have the shock of your news until she has made it up with these two gentlemen. Would you mind? As you wish, lady. Anything to help Henry to keep her off me hands. Out here. Uh, very good, ma'am. You rang, ma'am. Ask Miss Doolittle to come down, please. Yes, ma'am. Now, Henry, be good. I am behaving myself perfectly. He is doing his best, Mrs Higgins. Henry, dearest, you don't look at all nice in that attitude. I was not trying to look nice, Mother. It doesn't matter, dear. I only wanted to make you speak. Why? Because you can't speak and whistle at the same time. Oh. Where the devil is that girl? I was waiting here all day. Ah. How do you do, Professor Higgins? Are you quite well? <laughs> um, of course you are. You are never ill. Oh, so glad to see you again, Colonel Pickering. It's quite chilly this morning, isn't it? Don't you dare try this game on me. I taught it to you and it doesn't take me in. 
Get up and come home and don't be a fool. Very nicely put indeed, Henry. No woman could resist such an invitation. Uh, you let her alone, Mother. Let her speak for herself. You will jolly soon see whether she has an idea that I haven't put into her head or a word that I haven't put into her mouth. I tell you that I have created this thing out of the squashed cabbage leaves of Covent Garden. And now she pretends to play the fine lady with me. Yes, dear, but you'll sit down, won't you? Oh. Will you drop me altogether now that the experiment is over, Colonel Pickering? Oh, don't. You mustn't think of it as an experiment. It shocks me somehow. Oh, I'm only a squashed cabbage leaf. Oh! But I owe so much to you that I should be very unhappy if you forgot me. It's very kind of you to say so, Miss Doolittle. It's not because you paid for my dresses. I know you are generous to everybody with money, but it was from you that I learnt really nice manners. And that is what makes one a lady, isn't it? You see, it was so very difficult for me with the example of Professor Higgins always before me. Ah. I was brought up to be just like him, unable to control myself and using bad language on the slightest provocation. And I should never have known that ladies and gentlemen didn't behave like that if you hadn't been there. Ah. Oh, that's only his way, you know. He doesn't mean it. Oh, I didn't mean it either. When I was a flower girl, it was only my way. But you see, I did it. And that's what makes the difference after all. No doubt. Still, he taught you to speak, and I couldn't have done that, you know. Of course. That is his profession. Damnation! It was just like learning to dance in the fashionable way. There was nothing more than that in it. But do you know what began my real education? What? You're calling me Miss Doolittle that day when I first came to Wimpole Street. That was the beginning of self-respect for me. And there were a hundred little things you never noticed because they came naturally to you. You see, really and truly, apart from the things anyone can pick up, the dressing and the proper way of speaking and so on, the difference between a lady and a flower girl is not how she behaves, but how she is treated. I shall always be a flower girl to Professor Higgins, because he always treats me as a flower girl and always will. But I know I can be a lady to you because you always treat me as a lady and always will. Please don't grind your teeth, Henry. Yeah. Well, this is really very nice of you, Miss Doolittle. I should like you to call me Eliza now, if you would. Thank you. Eliza, of course. And I should like Professor Higgins to call me Miss Doolittle. Ha! I'll see you damned first, Henry. Why don't you slang back at him? Don't stand it. It would do him a lot of good. I can't. I could have done it once, but now I can't go back to it. Last night, when I was wandering about, a girl spoke to me, and, and I tried to get back into the old way with her, but it was no use. You told me, you know, that when a child is brought to a foreign country, it picks up the language in a few weeks and forgets its own. Well, I am a child in your country. I have forgotten my own language and can speak nothing but yours. That's the real break-off with the corner of Tottenham Court Road. Leaving Wimpole Street finishes it. Oh, but you're coming back to Wimpole Street, aren't you? You'll forgive, Higgins. Forgive? Will she, by George? Let her go. Let her find out how she can get on without us. She will relapse into the gutter in three weeks without me at her elbow. <laughs> it's incorrigible, Eliza. You won't relapse, will you? No. Not now. Never again. I have learned my lesson. I don't believe I could utter one of the old sounds if I tried. I wonder. <coughs> Excuse me, ladies and gents. Hello, Liza. 
So, you don't know me this time, eh? Ow! Me day! Aha! Just so! Ow! Ow, ow, ow! Ha, ha! Victory! Well, can you blame the girl? Don't look at me like that, Eliza. It ain't my fault. I've come into some money. You must have touched a millionaire this time, Dad. I have. But I'm dressed something special today. I'm going to St George's, Hanover Square. Your stepmother is going to marry me. You're going to let yourself down to marry that low common woman? He ought to, Eliza. Why has she changed her mind, Doolittle? Intimidated, Governor. Intimidated. Middle-class morality claims its victim. Won't you put on your hat, Liza, and come and see me turned off? If the Colonel says I must, uh, I'll demean myself and get insulted for my pains like enough. Don't be afraid. She never comes to words with anyone now, poor woman. Respectability has broke all the spirit out of her. Be kind to them, Eliza. Make the best of it. Oh, well. Just to show there's no ill feeling. And you'll come to the church, Colonel, and put me through straight? With pleasure. As far as a bachelor can. May I come, Mr. Doolittle? I should be very sorry to miss your wedding. I should indeed be honoured by your condescension, ma'am. And me poor old woman would take it as a tremendous compliment. She's been very low, thinking of the happy days that are no more. I'll order the carriage and get ready. I shan't be more than 15 minutes. Oh, Eliza, you had better come in the brougham with me. Colonel Pickering can go on with the bridegroom. Bridegroom. What a word. It makes a man realise his position somehow. Before I go, Eliza, do forgive Higgins and come back to us. I don't think Papa would allow me, would you, Dad? They played you off very cunning, Eliza, them two sportsmen. If it had only been one of them, you could have nailed him. But you see, there was two. And one of them chaperoned the other, as you might say. <laughs> it was artful to you, Colonel. But I bear no malice. I should have done the same myself. I've been the victim of one woman after another all my life, and I don't grudge you two getting the better of Eliza. I shan't interfere. Time for us to go, Colonel. So long, Henry. I'll see you in St George's, Eliza. Do stay with us, Eliza. Coming, Doolittle. Well, Eliza, you've had a bit of your own back, as you call it. Have you had enough, and are you going to be reasonable, or do you want any more? You want me back only to pick up your slippers and put up with your tempers and fetch and carry for you. I haven't said I wanted you back at all. Oh, indeed? Then what are we talking about? About you, not about me. If you come back, I shall treat you just as I've always treated you. I can't change my nature, and I don't intend to change my manners. My manners are exactly the same as Colonel Pickering. That's not true. He treats a flower girl as if she were a duchess. And I treat a duchess as if she were a flower girl. You see, the question is not whether I treat you rudely, but whether you ever heard me treat anyone else better. I don't care how you treat me. I don't mind your swearing at me. I don't mind a black eye. I've had one before this, but I won't be passed over. Then get out of my way, for I won't stop for you. You talk about me as if I were a motor bus. So you are a motor bus. All bounce and go and no consideration for anyone. But I can do without you. Don't think I can't. <laughs> I know you can. I told you you could. I know you did, you brute. You wanted to get rid of me. Liar! Thank you. You never asked yourself, I suppose, 
whether I could do without you. Don't you try to get round me. You'll have to do without me. I can do without anybody. I have my own soul, my own spark of divine fire. But I shall miss you, Eliza. I have learnt something from your idiotic notions. I confess that humbly and gratefully. And I've grown accustomed to your voice and appearance. I like them, rather. Well, you have both of them on your gramophone and in your book of photographs. When you feel lonely without me, you can turn the machine on. It's got no feelings to hurt. I can't turn your soul on. Leave me those feelings and you can take away the voice of the face. They are not you. Oh, you are a devil. You can twist the heart in a girl as easy as some could twist her arms to hurt her. Mrs. Pierce warned me. Time and again she has wanted to leave you and you always got round her at the last minute and you don't care a bit for her and you don't care a bit for me. I care for life, for humanity. And you are part of it that has come my way and been built into my house. What more can you or anyone ask? I won't care for anybody that doesn't care for me. Commercial principles, Eliza. Like selling violets, isn't it? Don't sneer at me. It's mean to sneer at me. I have never sneered in my life. Sneering doesn't become either the human face or the human soul. I am expressing my righteous contempt for commercialism. I don't and won't trade in affection. You call me a brute because you couldn't buy a claim on me by fetching my slippers and finding my spectacles. You were a fool. I think a woman fetching a man's slippers is a disgusting sight. Did I ever fetch your slippers? I think a good deal more of you were throwing them in my face. You've had a thousand times as much out of me as I have out of you. And if you dare set up your little dog's tricks of fetching and carrying slippers against my creation of a Duchess Eliza, I'll slam the door in your silly face. What did you do it for if you didn't care for me? Why, because it is my job. Once and for all, understand that I go my way and do my work without caring tuppence what happens to either of us. I'm not intimidated like your father and your stepmother, so you can come back or go to the devil, which you please. What am I to come back for? For the fun of it. That's why I took you on. And you may throw me out tomorrow if I don't do everything you want me to? Yes, and you may walk out tomorrow if I don't do everything you want me to. And live with my stepmother? Yes, or sell flowers. Oh, if only I could go back to my flower basket, I should be independent of both you and father and all the world. Why did you take my independence from me? Why did I give it up? I'm a slave now for all my fine clothes. Not a bit. I'll adopt you as my daughter and settle money on if you like. Or would you rather marry Pickering? I wouldn't marry you if you asked me and you're nearer my age than what he is. Than he is. Not than what he is. I'll talk as I like. You're not my teacher now. I don't suppose Pickering would, though. He's as confirmed an old bachelor as I am. That's not what I want. And don't you think it. I've always had chaps enough wanting me that way. Freddie Hill writes to me twice and three times a day, sheets and sheets. Damn his impudence. He's a right to if he likes, poor lad, and he does love me. You have no right to encourage him. Every girl has a right to be loved. What, by fools like that? Freddie's not a fool. And if he's weak and poor and wants me, maybe he'd make me happier than my betters that bully me and don't want me. In short, you want me to be as infatuated about you as Freddie. Is that it? No, I don't. That's not the sort of feeling I want from you. 
And don't you be too sure of yourself or of me. I could have been a bad girl if I'd liked. I've seen more of some things than you for all your learning. Girls like me can drag gentlemen down to make love to them easy enough. And they wish each other dead the next minute. Of course they do. Then what in thunder are we quarrelling about? I want a little kindness. I know I'm a common, ignorant girl and you a book-learned gentleman, but I'm not dirt under your feet. What i done, what I did, was not for the dresses and the taxes. I did it because we were pleasant together and I come to, came to care for you. Not to want you to make love to me and not forgetting the difference between us, but more friendly-like. Well, of course. That's just how I feel and how Pickering feels. Eliza, you're a fool. That's not a proper answer to give me. Well, it's all you'll get until you stop being a common idiot. If you're going to be a lady, you'll have to give up feeling neglected if the men you know don't spend half their time snivelling over you and the other half giving you black eyes. If you can't stand the coldness of my sort of life and the strain of it, go back to the gutter. Work till you are more a brute than a human being and then cuddle and squabble and drink till you fall asleep. Oh, it's a fine life. The life of the gutter, it's real, it's warm, it's violent. You can feel it through the thickest skin. You can taste it and smell it without any training or any work. Not like science and literature and classical music and philosophy and art. You find me cold, unfeeling, selfish, don't you? Very well. Be off with you to the sort of people you like. Marry some sentimental hog or other with lots of money and a thick pair of lips to kiss you with and a thick pair of boots to kick you with. If you can't appreciate what you've got, you'd better get what you can appreciate. Oh, you are a cruel tyrant. I can't talk to you. You turn everything against me. I'm always in the wrong. But you know very well all the time that you are nothing but a bully. You know I can't go back to the gutter, as you call it, and that I have no real friends in the world except you and the Colonel. You know well I couldn't bear to live with a low common man after you two, and it's wicked and cruel of you to insult me by pretending I could. You think I must go back to Wimpole Street because I have nowhere else to go but Father's. Don't you be too sure that you have me under your feet to be trampled on and talked down. I'll marry Freddy, I will, as soon as he's able to support me. Rubbish. You shall marry an ambassador. You shall marry the Governor-General of India or the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland or somebody who wants a deputy queen. I'm not going to have my masterpiece thrown away on Freddy. You think I like you to say that? But I haven't forgotten what you said a minute ago and I won't be coaxed round as if I were a baby or a puppy. If I can't have kindness, I'll have independence. Independence? That's middle-class blasphemy. We are all dependent on one another, every soul of us on earth. I'll let you see whether I'm dependent on you. If you can preach, I can teach. I'll go and be a teacher. What'll you teach in heaven's name? What you taught me. I'll teach phonetics. Ah, ah, ah. I'll offer myself as an assistant to Professor Nepian. What? That imposter, that humbug, that toadying ignoramus, teaching my methods, my discoveries, you take one step in his direction and I'll wring your neck. Do you hear? Ring away! What do I care? I knew you'd strike me someday! 
<laughs> now I know how to deal with you. What a fool I was not to think of it before. You can't take away the knowledge you gave me. You said I had a finer ear than you, and I can be civil and kind to people, which is more than you can be. Oh, <laughs> that's done you, Henry Higgins, it has. Now I don't care a snap of the fingers for your bullying and your big talk. Advertise it in the papers that your duchess is only a flower girl that you taught and that she'll teach anybody to be a duchess just the same in six months for a thousand guineas. Oh, when I think of myself crawling under your feet and being trampled on and called names, when all the time I had only to lift up my finger to be as good as you, I could just kick myself. You Damned impudent slut, you. It's better than snivelling. Better than fetching slippers and finding spectacles, isn't it? Pie, George Eliza. I said I'd make a woman of you, and I have. I like you like this. Yes. You turn round and make up to me now that I'm not afraid of you and can do without you. Well, of course I do, you little fool. Five minutes ago, you were like a millstone round my neck. Now you're a tower of strength, a consort battleship. You and I and Pickering will be three old bachelors together, instead of only two men and a silly girl. The carriage is waiting, Eliza. Are you ready? Quite. Is the professor coming? Certainly not. He can't behave himself in church. He makes remarks out loud all the time on the clergyman's pronunciation. Then I shall not see you again, Professor. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear. Goodbye, Mother. Oh, by the way, Eliza, order a ham and a stilton cheese, will you? And buy me a pair of reindeer gloves, number eights, and a tie to match that new suit of mine at Eel and Binman's. You can choose the colour. Number eights are too small for you if you want them lined with lamb's wool. You have three new ties that you have forgotten in the drawer of your washstand. Colonel Pickering prefers double Gloucester to Stilton, and you don't notice the difference. I telephoned Mrs. Pierce this morning not to forget the ham. What you are to do without me, I cannot imagine. I'm afraid you've spoilt that girl, Henry. I should be uneasy about you and her if she were less fond of Colonel Pickering. Pickering? Nonsense. She's going to marry Freddie. <laughs> Freddy! Freddy. <laughs> Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw was produced by John Tiderman and starred Simon Cadell as Henry Higgins. Imelda Staunton as Eliza Doolittle and Edward Hardwick as Colonel Pickering with Brenda Peters, Pauline Letts, James Grout, Rachel Gurney, Elaine Claxton, Richard Clifford, Anne Pearson, Andrew Branch, Garrard Green and David Lerner. Thank you for listening and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.